0: Bibles to Revelation chapter 1, I'm reading the first three verses, the title of my message, The Revelation of Jesus Christ. Chapter 1 and verse 1, The Revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him to show unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass. And he sent and signified it by his angel unto his servant John who bear record of the word of God and of the testimony of Jesus Christ and of all things that he saw. Blessed is he that readeth and they that hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written therein for the time is at hand. You may be seated. I received in the mail this week the November-December issue of Ministries Today, November-December 2003. In there, there is an article by Paul Coughlin entitled, The Dark Side of End-Time Teaching. Paul Coughlin quotes Brian Warner, who adopted the name that you may be more familiar with, Marilyn Manson. He got the name after two of his uh, idols. Marilyn Monroe, and Charles Manson. And so Brian Warner, in his article, he wrote a book entitled, The Long Hard Road Out of Hell. In it, the shock musician Marilyn Manson reveals what years of false teaching about the return of Christ and the apocalyptic conspiracy theories that enhance such teaching did to him. And he states, everything that I do, I blame on Christianity. And he blames it on the teaching of end-time prophetic teaching from the book of Revelation that struck fear into his heart as a child and caused him to have nightmares. I must say, He's a different kind of person. I have been raised in this. I've heard this all my life. I've never had a nightmare about it. I never go to bed at at night wondering if I'm. If I was left behind, we tease about that sometime. But I've never really had a fear. And I've never met anybody that has had nightmares and fears about missing the rapture. And so Marilyn Manson is blaming Christianity for his lifestyle. And his bold statement says, I blame everything I do on Christianity. Mr. Coughlin calls Marilyn Manson the Pied Piper of the disenfranchised, self-professed misfits, freaks, and losers. And yet he agrees with him that Christianity is to blame. He says he is the Pied Piper of all these misfits. And yet he claims that Charles Manson, uh, Marilyn Manson, is correct in blaming Christianity. Coughlin states in his article, speculative, irresponsible teaching pushed Manson further from Christ and into a world view fashioned by Karl Marx and Sigmund Freud. I don't really get it. My reaction is, who pushed Saddam Hussein and Osama bin Laden and Adolf Hitler and Joseph Stalin and Mussolini and all of those who have committed serial murders? Man, this past week, 48 women murdered by this serial killer. Who pushed him over the edge? Who does he blame with that? My question is, is it foolish to believe that the Antichrist, the book of Revelation talks about, is not real? When we see people like Saddam Hussein, who cut people's ears off, cut their tongues out, gouged their eyes out, had their heads cut off, Shot people in the head, pushed people off of three-story buildings. All of this was on videotape on your television this past week. And yet the public did not cry out against it, saying it's going to push our young generation over the edge and cause them to be like Marilyn Manson. But if we preach about the Antichrist and the mark of the beast and about the tribulation, Then we're told that we are being irresponsible. And even this Christian magazine publishes an article by Paul Kaufman stating that we're irresponsible in our teaching. Now, what is it that the book of Revelation is all about anyway? Not what you think. It's not about Antichrist. It's not about the tribulation. It is not about the mark of the beast. It is about Jesus Christ. Revelation chapter 1 and verse 1 clearly tells us it is the revelation of Jesus Christ. Read it for yourself. There it is. It was in my text. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him to show unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass. Now, down in verse 8, we're told that it, it clearly also is a book of prophecy. But it's about Jesus. It's about, and you'll see this again and again, the Lamb of God. It's about the Son of God at the right hand of the Father. Is it about Jesus who terms himself the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last? It's about him. The conquering lion of the tribe of Judah. It is about him, the Lord God Almighty, which was and is and is to come. It's about him whom an angelic beings and the four and twenty elders bow before his throne and cast their crowns at his feet and sing and chant, Thou art worthy to receive glory and honor and power. It is about him who stands in the midst of the seven candlesticks in chapter 1 and reveals himself as holding the seven candlesticks and the messengers of, to those churches in his hands. It's about him in the final chapter of this book, chapter 22, and verse 16, who says, I am the root and the offspring of David. I am the bright and the morning star. It's about Jesus from beginning to end. You will find some things of Bible prophecy that we're clearly told that this is a book of prophecy that is mentioned. And so there are events that will transpire. In chapter 1 and verse 3, it is called the words of prophecy. But the theme of this book is found in chapter 1. And verse 7, look at it. Behold, he cometh with clouds, and every eye shall see him. It's about Jesus. The theme of this book is, behold, he cometh with clouds, and every eye shall see him. I suggest that's what the world is really afraid of. They're not afraid of the Antichrist. They haven't worried too much about Saddam Hussein. We have politicians that say we shouldn't be over there tearing down his kingdom. They're not worried about Osama bin Laden. We have liberals who decry our troops invading Afghanistan. So I don't think that people are concerned about the Antichrist. I mean, they live under his system, and they're headed in that direction. I believe they're afraid of this theme of the book of Revelation chapter 1 and verse 7. Behold, he cometh with clouds, and every eye shall see him." Who wants to stand before him when he comes with piercing eyes, gazing into the depths of our soul, and give account of the life that we live if we have lived it in debauchery and shame and denial and unbelief and doubt and questioning God's word. So what really concerns the liberals is that we're going to give account when he comes back. He's coming. He's coming. In the very last chapter of this book, chapter 22 and verse 7 and verse 12 and verse 20. Verse 7, it says, behold, he cometh quickly. Behold, I come quickly. Verse 12, behold, I come quickly. Verse 20, surely I come quickly. Three times in the final chapter, he tells us that. The revelation, this book is about Jesus. Think about it for a moment. It's all about Jesus. Don't be afraid of the book of Revelation. It's all about Jesus. The first verse defines the main subject, the revelation of Jesus Christ. And then throughout the pages of this book, it describes him as the Lamb of God. He is called the Son of God at the right hand of the Father. It's about him, the Alpha and the Omega the beginning and the ending the first and the last it's about him the conquering lion of the tribe of Judah it's about him the Lord God Almighty which was and is and is to come it's about him who stands in the midst of the seven candlesticks as one likened to the Son of Man it's about him in the final chapter chapter 22 in verse 16 when he says and declares himself I am the Lord, the offspring, the rooted offspring of David and the bright and morning star. Things that will shortly come to pass in the book of prophecy are recorded for our benefit that we will understand. He's coming. He's coming. The revelation is about the Lord. It does reveal the savagery and the human nature under the control of Satan. And as I said, when compared to Saddam Hussein, when they uncovered the remains of mass burial sites where hundreds and hundreds of men and women and innocent children were shot in the head, little children shot in the head and then buried by bulldozers in mass graves all over the land of Iraq. When we read about that and we, we see the, the record of it on television, how then can we question The authenticity of a book of prophecy that tells us that under the man of known as the Antichrist there will be such atrocities we know that that kind of evil has not been banned from the face of the earth as yet it will be thank God but this book is about a Redeemer this book is about a Savior this book is about the King of Kings the Lord of Lords the Prince of Peace it's about heaven It's about the new Jerusalem. It's about the eternal perfect state. It's about the time on earth called the millennium when a thousand years of peace will take place. When old Slewfoot the devil, Satan, will be cast into the bottomless pit for 1,000 years. When a strong angel with a key to that pit and a chain in his hand will bind the enemy and cast him into that pit. And on this earth, there will be a thousand years of peace. There's a lot of good things in this book. Don't be afraid of this book. It's about the eternal perfect state where heaven will forever be real. The revelation of Jesus Christ unfolds before us in chapter 1. Twice, twice he is revealed as the self-existent, eternal, all-sufficient, magnificent Christ. The Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, verse 8. The same thing in verse 11, he repeats that. And then we see him, the first begotten from the dead, the resurrection and the life. He says, I am the almighty, the all-powerful, all-knowing, ever-present Christ who knows no limitations. He is the one seen in chapter one in the vision, standing in the midst of the seven churches. And he has the stars in his hand, and he stands in the midst. And then in chapter two and chapter three, there is a message to each one of the existing churches in Asia. And he begins with Ephesus, and he promises the overcomers to eat of the tree of life. He promises the overcomers in Smyrna the, the promise of eternal life. And in Pergamos, the overcomers will eat the hidden manna, and they will be given a new name. The believers and overcomers in Thyatira, Will be given power over the nations. And then in chapter 3, in the believers in Sardis, the overcomers will be clothed with white raiment. Also to the church in Philadelphia, the overcomers will be made a pillar in the temple of God. And finally, in the church at Laodicea, the overcomers will sit with him in his throne. I want you to see him. This book is about Jesus. In chapter 1. John saw him, he had a vision of him. In verse 12, I turned to see the voice that spoke with me and being turned, I saw seven golden candlesticks. And in the midst of the seven candlesticks, one likened to the son of man, clothed with a garment down to the foot, girt about the paps with a golden girdle. His head and his hairs were white like wool, as white as snow and his eyes were as a flame of fire His feet likened to fine brass as if they burned in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters. He had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth with a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was like the sun that shineth in its strength. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead, and he laid his right hand upon me, saying unto me, Fear not, I am the first and the last. I am he that liveth and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore, amen, and have the keys of hell and of death." And then in chapter two and chapter three, those messages to the seven churches. Most interesting to me is the words that he spoke to the church in Laodicea. And I'm not a dispensationalist to the extent that I believe that each one of these churches represent a different church age and a different era of Christianity. I believe that every one of the seven churches represent the problems that exist in the modern day church. I believe the call to repentance is also to the church today. I believe the promise to the overcomers is the promise to the overcomer today, just like any other Christian and believer in any time in church history. But I also find interesting the appeal that he made to the church at Laodicea. And I believe that this appeal is made to all of the churches And it's made to evangel temple. It's made to this family. You know it by heart. Chapter 3 and verse 20. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man will open the door, I will come in and sup with him and he with me. Here he is, the creator. The man standing in the midst of the seven candlesticks, holding the seven stars in his hand the one who was and is and is to come, the root and the offspring of David, the bright and the morning star, the fairest of 10,000 to our soul, the eternal Lamb of God. And he stands there pleading, beckoning, wanting to come in, but he's outside. And he says to the church, If you will open the door, I will come in and sup with you and you with me. I'm challenged, I am stirred, I want to confront you. Where is Jesus? Is he outside of your plans? Is he looking on from a distance? Is he having to take a distant view? of what is taking place and what you envision and what you're talking about? I asked this church about our vision and about our program and about our order of service. Is there any place that he can squeeze in there for a few moments? Can we just say, come on in, Jesus. Take over right here. Can we pause a moment? and we say, welcome, Holy Spirit. You're welcome in this place. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. He's pleading. He's knocking. It's an effort on his part to gain an entrance. He doesn't want to be frozen out of your plans. He wants to be a part of your life and of your future. What about, a, what about those of you who are planning marriage? Have you prayed about it? Do you know what God's will is? What about those of you who are planning business ventures? Do you know what the will of God is? Are you going into business with believers or unbelievers? Are you involved in some kind of scheme like the lottery or get-rich-quick scheme that you have not prayed about and sought God about? I am appalled at the greed that exists in our day. And even in our church, of people trying to get rich over somebody else's investment, when people buy a lottery ticket, and if they win, their profit is going to be at the expense of a hungry child somewhere that will not be fed and will not be properly clothed because that unwise dad or mom took the grocery money and the family money and invested it in the uh, in the lottery shame on you shame on you if you support that venture you're supporting keeping people at a poverty level level though so you yourself may not be at a poverty level you may be able to afford whatever you're wasting in the lottery but shame on you for supporting something that is so unethical and so immoral and so unspiritual The question comes, if somebody strikes it rich and wins the lottery and gets millions of dollars and wants to tie that evangel temple, take it down the road. Take it on down the road. I'm not interested. This church is not interested. I don't want people to believe that we would endorse the lottery. I have a lot of quiet out there today. Hello. <laughs> I need to park right here for a moment. I need to park right here for a moment. I was walking down town and looked down on the sidewalk. And there was a lottery ticket. I would not pick it up. It would have been my luck that I would have won the lottery. <laughs> Can you see the headlines? Can you see the headlines? I stepped on it. In the name of Jesus, and kept going. <laughs> I was not tempted at all. I want you to know I believe in hard work. I believe in integrity. I believe the Bible uh, method of earning your living by the sweat of your face is a proper way to gain a livelihood. So have mercy on you. <laughs> Everybody just pause and give the Lord a hand clap. In chapter 4, we see the Ancient of Days seated on a throne, and we see four and twenty elders and the four beasts, which are four angelic beings, bowing before him, saying in verse 11, Thou art worthy to receive glory and honor and power, for Thou hast created all things, and for Thy pleasure they are and were created. Chapter 5, we see Jesus as the worthy Lamb, worthy to open the the book and take the book from the right hand of the father seated on the throne in verse 5 one of the elders said unto me weep not behold the lion of the tribe of Judah the root of David hath prevailed to open the book and to loose the seven seals thereof and I beheld and lo in the midst of the throne and of the four beasts in the midst of the elders stood a lamb what is revelation about it's about a lamb as it had been slain having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits sent forth into all the earth. That just represents the fullness of our Lord. Verse 7, he took the book out of the right hand of him that sat on the throne. he took that book. He was worthy. He is worthy. Down in verse 11 of chapter 5, I beheld and I heard the voice of many angels round about the throne and the beast and the elders and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000, and thousands of thousands, myriads of angels, saying with a loud voice, worthy is the Lamb to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. Beloved, they've got it on us. With a loud voice, myriads of angels, Fill the heavens with a loud noise saying worthy is the lamb to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing could we make a little noise right here come on worthy 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 is the lamb worthy is the lamb gary and i usually go to a restaurant in normandy breakfast today we had to come straight to the church because one of the air conditioners that serves under the balcony was not working and we realized an important thing to all you people back there who loves them back seats so we came down straight to the church and then we went back to dinners in there I saw a good friend Bill Holloway he his wife Francis and uh, I went over to speak to him and he said you just missed a revival said, what are you talking about he said well over in that corner over there were a group of rough men and they were cursing and blaspheming God and filthy, foul mouth language. I just took all I could take. He said, I got up and I went over there and I raised my hand and I started praying and praising God and worshiping God. <laughs> and changed the tenor of the whole atmosphere that I didn't know if I'd get thrown out or what. Now, I'm not suggesting that that's what you need to do on the job or wherever you go. I mean, that was something unique for my good friend, Bill. But I am telling you, we're in a place that's safe. You won't get thrown out. We can make a little noise. Could we do it one more time? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah. <laughs> Every creature that was in heaven and on the earth and under the earth, such as are in the sea and all that are in them, heard I say in blessing and honor and glory and power Be unto him that sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb forevermore. And the four beasts said, Amen. And the four and twenty elders fell down and worshiped him that liveth forever and ever. It's about Jesus. What is this book of Revelation about? It's about Jesus. Chapter 6 and 8 the Lamb opens the seven seals that were on that book. Chapter 8 and 9 the seven trumpets begin to sound. And these introduce punishments upon those who've chosen the, the wickedness of the Antichrist. But now we see the grand view of the triumphant Christ, the revelation, the mighty angel clothed with a cloud. Look at chapter 10, verse 1. I saw another mighty angel come down from heaven, clothed with a cloud and a rainbow upon his head, and his face was as it were the sun, and had feet as pillars of fire. He had in his hand a little book open. And in his, he set his right foot upon the sea and his left foot upon the earth and cried with a loud voice. Even Jesus is loud. He cried with a loud voice. We know that further down in the chapter it tells us, he said, time shall be no longer. Literally, it means there shall be delay no longer. Our anticipation will be fulfilled. The time is coming. Chapters 11 through 13 speak of the two witnesses. Satan being cast out of the heavens, coming down to the earth, the rise of the Antichrist and the mark of the beast, it's all there. But that's not what the book is about. The book is about the triumphant, glorified Christ. When we see the modern atrocities paraded before us on television, we know that what we read about in the book of Revelation is a sad reality. In chapter 14 and verse 14, we see Jesus seated on a white cloud. I looked, and behold, a white cloud, and upon the cloud one sat like unto the Son of Man, having on his head a golden crown, and in his hand a sharp sickle. There have been a lot of dictators and a lot of rulers and a lot of kings and potentates and emperors, but never has one come down out of the heavenly seated on a cloud with a golden crown indicating that he is the king of kings and Lord of lords. The sharp sickle indicates the wrath that will be poured out upon people like the Antichrist, like Saddam Hussein, and like Osama bin Laden, and others who commit atrocities. I want you to know that God says, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. We have a a lot of people who are bleeding hearts today because that we have invaded Afghanistan and Iraq and and they they ignore the atrocities by the taliban upon thousands of uh, afghans committing murder and atrocities upon them chopping off their limbs and blinding them and all kind ca- pouring acid upon them they ignore all of the atrocities of saddam hussein and say we have no business over there i i pray daily god help our troops to be successful in their mission of bringing justice to a land and to a people who need mercy and to a people who need peace and people who need deliverance from oppression. Well, in chapter 19, we come to a grand grand climax leading to chapter 22. Verse 7 says, Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him for the marriage of the Lamb has come. Could we show a little excitement about some of these things here this morning? I mean... I know the bible says the dead in christ shall rise first but i don't want you to be first because you're dead i want you to be alive in christ chapter 20 we see the first and the second resurrection chapter 21 all things new he that sat upon the throne said behold i make all things new he said unto me right for these words are true and faithful i am the alpha and the omega the beginning and the end I will give unto him that is a thirst of the fountain of the water of life freely. He that overcometh shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. Three times in the last chapter, he says, I come quickly. It's in verse 7, verse 12, and verse 20. I come quickly. Who is this Jesus? In chapter 22 and verse 13, once again, he reminds us of who he is. What is this book about? What is Revelation all about? I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. There was none before him, and there shall be none after him. He is the King of kings. He is the Lord of lords. Every knee will bow before him. Every tongue shall confess that he is Christ the Lord to the glory of God the Father. Woo! Praise God. closes it all out with a final verse saying, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Bow your heads, please. Our singers are coming, and I want you just to celebrate one time through on this beautiful chorus before we leave this place today and acknowledge who Jesus is. What is this book about? It's about Jesus. It's about our Savior. It's about the Lamb of God. It's about the root and offspring of David. It's about the first begotten from the dead. It is about the one who said, I was dead and, and now I am alive forevermore. Praise God. It's about our glorious King of kings and Lord of lords. Praise God. Don't be afraid of this book. There are some things maybe may be hard to understand, but just get the overview and see how many times, popping right up in the middle of the picture, he's, he just says, don't forget, I'm in charge i got this crown on my head. I'm seated on a white cloud in one picture, on a white stallion in another picture, and I am the conquering lion of the tribe of Judah. I've got everything under control. The world is not spinning out of control. I'm going to bring it to a state of order and completeness, and I will make all things new. I will make all things new.